Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to episode 28 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz and I'm your host. And in a few minutes, we'll be joined by our regular guests, of course, including Chris Frame, who'll be bringing his maritime history and uh, cruise news. And Peter's back this week to tell us uh, a few tips if you're a first-time cruiser. But we have got a couple of shout-outs. First of all, to Pete, our good friend, joining us later in the show. He recorded his uh, section uh, a couple of days ago before the big announcement at the Sea Trade Awards um, for um, various different categories, and one including talent development that Pete was up for for his role at Clear in uh, training of the travel trade. Huge well done. Huge congratulations. It was never in any doubt in my mind, but Pete did pick up uh, the huge award and uh, recognition uh, to bring back to the clear Australasia team back in Sydney. So a huge well done to Pete and the extended clear team there. Also a big shout out to Charles. Charles got in touch with us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and he wanted to leave a message to say, Always enjoyable. You and Chris make a great team. I love the history and a nice range of guests. Well, Charles, we really appreciate you getting in touch, and uh, we're glad that you really do enjoy the uh, the podcast. Now, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do so as well. Simply head to the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, go to the top right-hand corner of the page, and uh, you'll find a join the show link, and that's where you can send in a uh, comment. It's where you can send in a question uh, for myself, Pete, or Chris. Or, of course, if you want to leave a cruise review, then that's exactly the same process as well. If you've been on a ship in the last 18 months to two years or so and you want to tell us all about your cruise experience, we'd love to have you joining the show as well. We've also got a few listener questions coming up uh, later in the show. Uh, Carl uh, asked us what the difference was between P&O Australia and P&O UK, if there is any difference at all. Uh, Chris is actually going to answer that as part of his uh, maritime history at the start of the show in just a moment's time. And then a little later, we've got Brenda asking about uh, gratuities when cruising from Australia, and Adam asking about choosing between a South Pacific cruise from either Sydney or from Brisbane. 
So lots uh, to cover in today's show. We're going to jump straight into it. Uh, I really do hope you enjoy it. And if you can uh, subscribe, if you can leave a review or get in touch, we'd uh, love to hear from you. And once again, it's time for our first guest of every single show, Chris Frame, maritime historian and all things cruise new. Chris, welcome back. Great to be back, Barry. Yeah, another week and uh, heaps more news. But before we get into the news, um, we had a, a listener question that came in. Mm. kind of preempts uh, a review that's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. They were asking the, the, the key differences, I guess, or how it became about that there is two P&O brands, one for obviously the UK market and one for here, Australia. Um, I'll let you do the explanation. Okay, sure. So P&O um, was originally set up as a uh, steamship company to operate initially voyages into the Iberian Peninsula and then onwards uh, to through the Mediterranean and then on to Asia, India, and Australia. Um, and its story itself, we might have to do that in a different podcast because it's quite an interesting story as to how they got themselves established. But P&O became very important in Australia as a um, shipping company that helped really to, I guess, develop the the young nation in terms of uh, goods and mails and um, people coming to Australia. Um, now, when so if we sort of that was in the eighteen hundreds and and early twentieth century, and then if we sort of fast forward a little bit um, during the Great Depression, uh, P and O sort of pioneered the use of their cruise ships out of Australia doing pleasure cruise voyages during the, the sort of difficult times of the depression when there wasn't really enough um, transportation needs to have those ships operating full time going backwards and forwards between Australia and um, and Europe. Sure. So from a very early stage, P&O became known as a cruise brand and they actually sent um, some of their Strath class liners, which were their best ships, um, on cruises from Australian East Coast ports into uh, the South Pacific. Um, now, with this, uh, throughout the 1950s and 1960s, they maintained that presence here. They had ships that would come to Australia um, operating the line voyages and then between turnaround times, sometimes they'd go off and do a cruise with, with local Australian um, cruisers on board. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, as uh, P&O merged with the Orient Line and then um, more and more uh, ships became available, they started to uh, allocate ships to the Australian market. And in the 1980s, we saw a very famous ship called the Oriana um, operating full-time out of Australia for a few years before she retired. That's the first yeah. Oriana, not the not the second Oriana. Yeah. Um, and then they actually acquired P&O as a, as a company, which, is a hu- which was a huge company at the time, Peninsula um, and Orient uh, Steam Navigation Company was, was massive. Um, and they acquired Sitmar Cruises, which had a presence in Australia uh, sure. already. And Sitmar owned the Fairstar, which I think a lot of people will remember, amongst mm-hmm. a whole heap of other ships that the company um, had. And so Fairstar was super popular in Australia. She was based out of Sydney. She used to cruise year-round. And P&O basically decided that the best thing to do was to maintain Fairstar's um, presence in the Australian market. So they set up a subsidiary uh, called P&O Holidays, which was the Australian arm of 
P&O, which would operate Fairstar and then later other cruise ships um, for the Australian market. Uh, Oriana, for example, was retired. All of the UK P&O ships would stay away from that Australian cruising market and Fairstar basically uh, became the focus of things here. And so that allowed the company to have um, an Australian brand that was designed for the Australian cruise market, which at the time was very... um, a very sort of young fledgling market still it even though it had been going there've been cruises here for a long time it really hadn't developed the way things were developing in um, the United States and in Europe and then in the UK P&O had P&O cruises which they were using uh, to to develop the UK cruising market and they also by this stage by the by the um by the time the Fairstar was becoming really popular here, they, they were acquiring other brands like Princess, which we spoke about last week. Sure, yeah. So um, as a result of this, the P&O UK brand sort of developed from having ships like the Canberra then to the, in the 1990s, the Oriana, and then in 2000, Aurora, the second Oriana that was, and then Aurora and the other ships. They, they developed into sort of a um, kind of a, a, a higher mid-level luxury brand, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. with their with their fleet of you know me- medium-sized to large cruise ships that they have based out of Southampton. Um, in Australia, things went the other way. So Fairstar was super casual, uh, a really sort of basic cruise experience, but you I mean, she was an older ship as well, but people would go on board low price, you know seven night holidays to the South Pacific and it was just like fun, fun, fun. There was activities all the time. Yeah. It was really casual. Um, you didn't have to worry about dressing up and any of that sort of thing. Um, so as Fairstar got older and older, they supplemented the fleet. They actually retired Fairstar, brought in a, a former Princess Cruises ship called the Fair Princess, which actually, if you trace her history back, she used to be an ocean liner for Cunard back on the North Atlantic. So she was an old ship oh, as wow. well. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's um, kind of recycled a few a few times during its career. Uh, and then they started to, to bring in other Princess ships and, and rename them. So you had the Pacific Sky, which which started its career actually as a Sitma ship and then went on to become a princess ship and then came to Australia. And gradually the fleet sort of evolved using sort of secondhand ships from the um, P&O Princess group. Uh, when Carnival mm. and P&O Princess merged in the 2003 um, to form you know, what is now obviously the giant Carnival Corporation, um, they they sort of invested a bit more in the Australian brand and we saw um, other ships from Princess move across here. So you had um, the Regal Princess and the Crown Princess originally selling for Princess. They ended up in Australia as the Pacific uh, Jewel and Pacific um, Dawn. Mm-hmm. And uh, that allowed the brand to sort of get larger and larger until I suppose in early Earlier or late last decade, there was a, um, a five ship extravaganza in, um, I think it was 2015 in Sydney when they That's had right, five yeah. ships in their fleet all came together um, to meet there. At the same time, over in the UK, it's grown and grown and grown. And the two brands now are so, I suppose, different from one another that it is a bit confusing, particularly at World Cruise time when the UK ships are in the Australian ports because you have <laughs> these two different brands both called P&O but one is sort of a, a, you know a higher end luxury market the other one is um, you know a, a lot more advanced than it was when it was Fairstar but it's still that kind of Aussie casual you know fun yeah. experience um, and um, you know they, they're painted differently the UK ships now have the 
union flag on their bow and they have a big blue funnel with a gold sort of rising sun logo on it. The Australian mm-hmm. one's white funnel with P&O in big letters. So it does allow you to sort of differentiate them, but they're very distinct products that are designed for very different markets. And that's sort of the reason why that, that came about. I don't know if that answered it, but I ho- hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I think it did. Well, we'll ask Cole. Cole was the person that uh, asked the question, so hopefully it did answer that for him. Um, a little extra question with that notice. Mm-hmm. P&O also have ferries in the UK. Are they completely separate to the whole cruise operation? Yeah, so here's the interesting thing. So when um, before the merger with Carnival, P- the Peninsula and Oriental Steam Navigation Company, they um, – that is P&O um, historically, and they sort of spun off the cruise division to become P&O Princess, which owned P&O Cruises, P&O Holidays, P&O Prince, uh, Princess brand rather. It also had a, a um, uh, an interest in um, Arosa at the time. It had uh, Ocean Village. So it was quite a big yep. group within itself. And that cruise brand was sold was merged rather with Carnival Corporation um, in 2003. The rest of P&O was actually sold to Dubai. And so that includes the the containers, the ports, and the ferries. And so okay. there's actually three P&Os, funnily enough. There's the P&O Australian <laughs> Cruising, there's a P&O UK Cruising, and then there's Peninsula and Oriental, um, which is, of course, the Dubai-based group. Um, so it can, yeah, it can, with P&O, it can get very confusing. We, we obviously, um, well, you might not know, but we, for the anniversary of P&O, we wrote a book about it with two other historians and going through the records to see all the different ownership structures and stuff. It's quite fascinating. Um, but yeah, so if you're in, if you're in the UK, you could see P&O ferries and you can see P&O cruises and they're both separate, just like when the P&O UK ships are here, they're both sort of. Same, same yeah. owner, but different. But in the UK, it's a little bit more um, diversified than that. Very interesting indeed. Now, uh, moving more into uh, the, the news that's happened over the, the last week or so, we've had a little update um, from a few cruise lines extending uh, their pause for various different reasons. We'll start off with Seabourne. Yeah, so we spoke a little while ago about some of the Seabourne ships that were ex- their pause was extended into 2021. And so we've got um, uh, a further update on that. Um, the... Biggest uh, extension is for Seabourn Encore, which won't now resume cruising until the 28th of May 2021. And then Seabourn mm-hmm. Ovation is um, going to remain uh, paused until the 18th of April. And then Odyssey will be the first of these this trio to um, resume voyages, and that's um, on the 15th of January 2021. So with the that and the, the remainder of the fleet, we've really seen sort of a, a staging of of the return of cruising. So they're not all going to come back at once. They'll, they'll gradually come back throughout 2021, which um, I think you and I mentioned a number of times here before. It's probably the expectation just to try and ramp things back up rather than just flicking a switch because it just, it just logistically can't work like that. Now, the Royal Caribbean Group um, also announced a pause, but only for two of their brands, that being Celebrity and Azamara, and only in Australian waters. Yeah, well, I mean, the Australian cruise ban remains in place, and I suppose there's not really any clear indication as to when that's going to be lifted. So we've seen um, world cruise seasons from other brands also um, cancelled for 2021. Um, So no massive surprise here. But Azamara, which is their, 
um, smaller luxury um, cruise ship brand. Um, they've cancelled the 2020-21 Australian and New Zealand cruises, uh, which were you know started basically the summer season, the, mm-hmm. the southern su- summer season. For any of our uh, northern hemisphere listeners, of, of course, it's um, the biggest season for uh, Australia and New Zealand is from December through to sort of March. Um, and then Celebrity, which is their, um, their big luxury brand, um, they've cancelled the same um, 2020-21 Australia and also Voyages um, throughout Asia for that period as well. So that's sort of summer Southern Hemisphere period or, you know, yeah. and in Asia, of course, if, if you're selling in equatorial waters, it's, it's, it's kind of warm all year round. So that kind of period <laughs> will be um, – we cancelled but we'll see what happens uh, for the rest of the year as to whether that gets um, any more interruptions for the ships in this in this region. Yeah, interesting that there was no announcement for the Royal Caribbean brand, though. Maybe they're holding on to hopes of a, a smallish season early next year. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting because um, the uh, parent company of um, Norwegian Cruise Line and also they operate um, Oceana and Regent Seven Seas, um, they've extended their... Um, sort of global pause just for one extra month through to the 30th of November. And um, the CDC no sale order was pushed back, pushed um, out, out an extra month from the end of September to the end of October. So mm-hmm. I guess they're just going one month at a time to look at what's um, what's going to happen there in terms of um, how much longer that that's going to interrupt their uh, their services for. Yeah, yeah. Now, staying close to our shores, um, good news from Singapore. Um, Singapore has mm. actually announced that they're going to restart cruises, and the first cruise line will be? Dream Cruises, um, which has been um, successfully undertaking voyages out of Taiwan yeah. uh, with um, with one of their ships, and they're actually going to send another one now out um, down to Singapore, the World Dream. She's a a big ship. She's 150,000 tons, 335 meters long and entered service in 2017. Um, and she'll be doing voyages from Singapore, uh, Singapore return voyages, no port calls and with Singapore residents only. So very similar to what's happening in Taiwan yep. uh, where everybody who comes on board will obviously be screened and um, it's sort of maintaining that um I guess sort of isolated atmosphere on board the ship by not having port calls by making sure it comes to and from the same um, region and uh, so far so good in Taiwan so um, everyone's watching now what's going to happen in Singapore to see how, how it pans out. Yeah and of course um, CLEAR which is the global organisation around the cruise industry announced this week that they will be uh, suggesting or recommending that all of their member cruise lines undertake testing uh, pre-embarkation uh, and that's something mm. that uh, Dream Cruises are doing for the, the Singapore market as well with a test being included in the cost of uh, your, your cruise fare. Because yeah, testing um, uh, the speed of which you can get test results back now is fr- from when the, things first Yep. started with the virus to now it's, it's much much quicker so that actually becomes a, a viable option now which is um which is good yeah and news that just came in just this morning singapore related as well royal caribbean have announced that they will also bring a ship into operation from december so dream cruises will be there from 6th of november and then about a month mm-hmm. later royal caribbean will also be uh, operating so uh, good to see things ramping up elsewhere in the world now, yeah. Viking Cruises have uh, hit a milestone with uh, something that they implemented as a result of COVID. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of these cruise brands, um, Viking included, are very well known for their sort of uh, 
the onboard program, which is a little bit different from sort of the mainstream cruise lines, um, it's they've got a lot of uh, focus on uh, enrichment on board their ships with access to um, sort of astronauts and celebrities and um, news anchors and people who have been on the ground in different um, world events who, who talk to passengers about about their experiences. Um, and as a result of this, many of the regulars on Viking were missing that that sort of content throughout the year because people go on these these wonderful voyages where they get to see unique destinations and get taught whilst they're out um, at sea. And so Viking set up a, a, a program called Viking TV, which you can access online. Um, and it's basically um, taking their enrichment program digital. And mm-hmm. they've just celebrated the six-month um a milestone for that so six months of viking tv they've had a over um well i think they've had 160 shows um in that time which is remarkable um and it uh has proven to be something that's allowed the viking community to sort of come together uh, and and enjoy that um that experience that they are missing from being on board the ships uh whilst uh, whilst at home and, and regardless of where you are in the world you can access it through their website so um, other cruise lines have done other things such as sharing recipes or doing yep. cooking demonstrations or having sort of um, other enrichment shared on their on their social media. But I think um, this one here has definitely taken it to the um, to the to the next level with 160 shows so far. Yeah, no, it's incredible stuff that everybody has been doing. Now, uh, back in Europe, the MSC has received um, a biosafe additional class notification, whatever that may mean, uh, for operations <laughs> on board uh, MSC Grandiosa. Yeah, this is right. So it's been um, it's an organization that goes by the acronym of RENA, which is basically a classification society that is used to classify um, ships. Okay. Um, it's based in Italy, based in um, Genoa, and um, it actually has a history that dates all the way back to 1861, oh, wow. and it became an international classification society in 1885. So it's been around for, for a long time. Um, and so they certify... Um, they certify ships that are on the um, uh, that are classified on throughout the Italian register. Yeah, um, and they have here certified um, the Grandiosa as a biosafe ship, which is a sort of voluntary certificate um, where the ship has to prove that its uh, layout, its procedures, and the onboard equipment that are used throughout the ship um, enable the reduction of infection spread so basically maintained infection control uh and so she's been um certified it's been um checked and she's been certified as biosafe which is wonderful because she's the one that's currently leading msc's return to cruising so so far her voyages have been successful there's been no covid concerns on board and now she's received this um extra certificate which just um perhaps um, allows some extra confidence that the procedures that have been put in place are perhaps the way forward for the industry um, during the COVID era. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all all good news and all heading in the right direction. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that as uh, things start to ramp up. And Chris, if you've got time, we've uh, got a couple of list of questions that have come in via the website. And just a reminder, if anybody does have a question or they would like to leave a cruise review, you can go to the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. And in the top right-hand corner, there is a little button, join the show. And that's where you can uh, send your questions and uh, things through to us for to be able to answer live on the podcast. The first question this week comes from Brenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brenda has never been on a cruise before. Um, she's been talking with her friends and she's a bit confused about the mm-hmm. whole 
gratuity situation. She would rather not have it added to her daily bill. She wants to either have no gratuities or it to be included in the cruise fare um, and really doesn't know mm. where to go. Um, well, I guess I'll start off and then you can jump in with any others that you think of. Um, some of the key Australian sure. cruise lines, assuming she wants to cruise from Australia, um, include or don't expect gratuities. So if you were to cruise on a P&O Australia ship, um, on a princess cruise that departs from Australia and is priced on board in Australian dollars versus US dollars, then gratuities are uh, included. Carnival for the Spirit and Splendor cruising out of Australia um, doesn't anticipate uh, uh, gratuities are required. And then you have some of the smaller lines, uh, people like... um, Oceania, Azamara, which are you know more boutique style, styles of cruising, also don't expect gratuities to be to be given whilst on board the the ship. So, I guess uh, if you yeah. just stay away from the big American brands cruising in Australian waters, um, such as I guess your, your Cunards, um, some of the World Voyages that will come through, your Royal Caribbean, your celebrities. Yeah. Um, your Norwegian cruise lines, they will all add gratuities to your bill um, throughout uh, the duration of your cruise. But the, the ones that I've mentioned there are pretty much safe to say that you, you won't need to be uh, worrying too much about that. I think also, you know, when you're looking at um, which cruise you want to take, I mean, um, obviously, if the question is specifically that um, she doesn't want to pay any gratuities, then there's there's those brands that you've mentioned, but there's a lot of brands out there that are going to offer you an experience that you might not want to miss out on. So when you're looking at the cruise, um, in the in the terms of conditions, and, and any um, reputable travel agent would be able to tell you this through information from the from the cruise line, you'll know what the gratuity amount per night is. It's not as if they just make it up on the spot. Now this. Yep. Um, obviously, this podcast is international, so so for some people that would be you know in British pounds or, or be in US dollars if they're traveling in those local areas. But for anyone who's traveling um, where the currency isn't your local currency, you know the, the currency will fluctuate a little bit, but you will get a good idea as to how much that's going to be. So you can put that aside. You can basically just in, in your own planning round that up as part of the um, as part of the uh, cost of the holiday. The other thing is. Sometimes on board the ships, you'll you'll find on embarkation day there'll be queues of people at the purser's office or the reception desk trying to switch the gratuities off because they'd prefer to give their direct crew members who have helped them some um, sort of tip at the end of the uh, end of the voyage. But the thing to remember about gratuities is that they don't just go towards the few people that you have face-to-face contact with, the regulars. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't just go to the waiter at your table or to the person who does your room, but they're actually broken up amongst all the people who are involved across the, the, the ship that makes your experience. There's a lot of people behind the scenes you will never see who work in the, in the um, kitchens, who work in the laundries, who do all this other sort of stuff. Um, as well as the people who work in the um, in the public rooms and that, who you might have interactions with occasionally, but they're all obviously contributing towards your cruise experience. So, I mean, by all means, you, everyone must make their own decision, but that's definitely something to think about when you're when you're deciding how you're going to approach it, uh, because obviously everybody who's involved in making this experience magical is what makes that cruise experience unique. Um, so there's yep. there's different mm-hmm. options for you. Um, as the ones that Barry mentioned, of course, there's a lot of brands that still do um, require or 
suggest the gratuity or, or add it to your account, but they will tell you how much that is before you book the cruise. Um, so that's that's my advice, just to keep an eye on that, so that you can basically plan as if that was part of the expense of the holiday, and then there's no surprises later. And that's good advice in general. Just just budget and plan for what you think you will spend on board when it mm. comes to drinks and shore excursions and everything because there's nothing worse than getting that bill on the last day and thinking, oh, my God, did I really <laughs> spend that so quickly? Whereas if you know that what you, you're intending to spend, then the, there's not so much of a shock uh, at the end. Um, now, we've also got another question from Adam. Um, we don't know where Adam is, but he's considering a South Pacific cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, he's considering cruising from Brisbane or Sydney um, but can't decide which. Mm. any tips or recommendations well um let's start with sydney um so again we don't know where uh, adam's from so if he's international um obviously you'll be flying into one of these major cities um looking at sydney sydney's got that sort of iconic um australian status it's got the beautiful harbor there the the opera house the harbor bridge and the cruise ship coming through is one of one of the cruise experiences i think to to yeah. witness it from the harbour is just remarkable. South Pacific, though, of course, um, the the um, there's two schools of thought here. If you love sea days on a ship, then you're going to have extra sea days going from Sydney up to the to the South Pacific. Um, if you prefer port days, then let's look at Brisbane because it's closer. Uh, Brisbane obviously has got a fantastic um, tourism market. When you know in in normal times, um, it's obviously closer uh, to areas like the Gold Coast. You could maybe work in a bit of an Australian Queensland holiday at the same time. Um, and they've got a new cruise port, a new cruise terminal, which I believe um, is going to be opened uh, or has been opened. Barry, maybe. Um, well, it should be open in time for this season. Yeah, but, in time um, for the season, yeah. Okay. Because it's ready for whenever cruising restarts. Yeah, it hasn't been, so. I don't, yeah exactly. That's, that's, all, that's it. I mean, 2020 sort of thrown us all out. But so it's got, um, it's got good access. There's good um, uh, taxi access, and it's all quite close to the airport as well, which, which is good if you're flying in and you just want to get straight onto the, into the ship. There's hotels nearby. And then it's closer to the, the, to the South Pacific. So you, um, you have uh, shorter sea days, and you can just get straight out to, to wherever you're going. So you'll often find that the, the voyages from um, Sydney are either um, slightly longer or have um, fewer ports, and the um, voyages from Brisbane might be you might have more options for, for slightly shorter cruises to, to get those same number of ports in. But again, it really depends on um, which cruise and which brand and um, and what you want to experience whilst either you're in Australia or if you're already like if you were living in Sydney, then flying up to Brisbane, I don't know. It, that that will depend on whether or not um, whether or not you want to try something different or get those extra port days in. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, it's really down to number one, which cruise line you want to sail on, and number two, how much time do you have? If you've only got a week, then Brisbane would be your natural choice because you are, as you say, so much closer to the islands. Mm. But if you can afford eight, nine, ten, eleven days uh, for for cruising, then Mm. Sydney makes a perfect choice. Yes, you get that iconic sail out, sail in. Um, You get more sea days, so you can relax and unwind before you actually get to the destination. Um, So um, I would wait probably to Sydney, but if it was time poor, Brisbane would certainly be an option. Because you know what? At the moment, anything would be wonderful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just the idea of even two nights at sea would just be superb. So, <laughs> so bring on we'll 2021. Eh? One day. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. I think that's all we've got time for today, Chris. There are a few other questions, but we'll leave them for another show. Sure, no problem. Um, as always, um, just before we do go, let's have a quick update on whatever this week's video may be. This video is um, – so I think – 
that many of us are suffering from cruise nostalgia at the moment. A bit of a um, a bit of a period now where we haven't been at sea for a long time. Um, it's actually you know a long enough period of time since the cruise pause started that a lot of people that I've spoken to are starting to reminisce on past voyages and are really really missing missing it because it doesn't look like for at least for many places in the world that our um, voyages will be resuming until obviously early 2021. So by that stage, it's going to be about a year since many of us have been cruising. And for a lot of people, it was multiple times a year, if not once a year. So this week's video is uh, a bit of a nostalgic look back at the joys of cruising. And I, I hope um, any of our listeners will will come along and watch the video and then share their experiences in the comments because I'd love to get a conversation started about about why cruising is so special. Yeah, no, that uh, sounds like a great video. Of course, the links to your YouTube channel are always in the show notes. In fact, I just this morning had to write a cruise review of a cruise I did about six years ago. My God, it brought back some incredible memories. So uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to look out for your video as well. The title of the video is um, Cruise Nostalgia is Real, and it definitely is. Like so many people are, are thinking about, reminiscing about, um, on, and you look on the, the social feeds on Facebook, on um, the, the different groups that are out there, Instagram, there's so many people sharing photographs from past voyages all the way back sometimes until the 19 um, sort of 70s and 80s when they first discovered cruising uh, and yep. I think a lot of people are feeling it so I'm hoping that this will help um, people realize that they're not alone you're definitely within good company <laughs> <laughs> fabulous Chris as always it's a pleasure to speak with you and I'm sure next Friday we'll be here very very soon so until then stay safe mate thank you you too When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evolcas are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. And once again, we welcome back our good friend to the show, Pete from Clear. Pete, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Bears. How are you today, mate? Very good, very good, mate. And uh, this week we thought we'd give a few tips to our first-time cruisers. Uh, should we start with number five? Okay, let's do that. And uh, number five, I'm going to direct it towards the domestic cruiser because the domestic cruiser is going to cruise to a uh, well, travel uh, uh, to a, a local port, and so often they will have two large suitcases, but not have a carry-on bag. So. For the domestic cruiser, please pack a carry-on bag because not only will you need it when you get on board, when you're embarking, because your luggage will, your big luggage will be uh, maneuvered to a certain area where it will board the ship in its uh, own time. Uh, it might not get to your actual stateroom uh, for a little while. So if you have anything like medications, phones, or whatever it may be, have it in your carry-on bag because you'll need it. it. It might be a couple of hours before you get your normal luggage. And when you disembark, you'll also have to have um, some necessities with you because your main luggage will already be off in the coaches or in the pickup area uh, when you wake up. So uh, you're going to need that carry-on bag. So if you're a domestic cruiser, it's sometimes uh, forgotten because they're just thinking of their larger apparatus. <laughs> and as we said in previous podcasts, you do not want to be the person that is left with only your PJs to disembark the ship. Yes, we should be paying for the bathrobe you take with you when you need to disembark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four. 
This one hit myself, uh, even though I cruise for many years, but obviously my capacity now in the last 10 years, I get to uh, cruise just like uh, any other passenger, and I love it, but this uh, even got me. Switch your mobile to airplane mode. Uh, it's a very common one. Um, so if you want to avoid charges, unless you're on some great plan, your safest bet when you get on the cruise ship is to switch to airplane mode. All the, all the phones have them. Um, and then you reactivate your wireless or your Wi-Fi to the ship's Wi-Fi. Um, and then obviously log off the Wi-Fi if you're not actually using it. But um, I, I did this, I think, one of my one of first or second cruise as a passenger. And I, and I went on board because we didn't have, I, I sound really old now, we didn't really have mobile phones when I was on board. But as a, as a passenger, <laughs> I, I came on board and I thought, well, I'll leave my Wi-Fi on um, or I'll leave my phone on, but I just won't use it. But, little, you know, people don't realise that it's still uh, getting data yeah. from the satellite and back. So I came back with a, a quite a large sum and I was asking what this fancy word was and it's just for the phone talking to the satellite and back, even if you haven't touched it. So just uh, switch it on airplane mode. I've done it uh, probably over 50 times now on cruises, so it works every time. Oh, for sure. And the amount of people that I hear that come back with massive bills just because they throw the phone in the safe and think nothing more of it and exactly. all that time it's been pinging up and down it to the satellite. Where you are. <laughs> Number three. First time cruisers, bookings. If you can, do so. And they, there's such great online presence. Book uh, your extras online. If you can't do it online, do it definitely on the first day of the cruise. But the three I'm really talking about is your salon appointments, Okay, we have formal nights and uh, various cruises or nights where you want to go out on the town and uh, particularly the ladies like to um, um, get ready for that occasion. But, of course, there are you know a set uh, amount of people who can do that in set time. So formal nights are the busiest. They get booked out very, very quickly. So if you want to uh, prepare for a formal night, uh, make sure you pre-book your salon appointment. Uh, excursions. I like to pre-book these uh, particularly, um, but mainly for smaller ports, because when you're talking smaller ports, you're talking less infrastructure, less number of coaches, less guides. Um, so they may, there well may be a capacity to that excursion. Um, so you don't want to miss out if it's something in particular. So make sure of that. And, of course, restaurants, um, particularly if it's a special occasion. Now, if you've got a, a clear travel agent, uh, they'll know, they'll actually make sure that... Um, that occasion is uh, celebrated uh, with whether it's two people or 20 people. So, But if you're um, booking on your own, make sure your restaurant's booked because it might not be available when you get there. Good tips. And I always like to try and book a speciality restaurant on the first night because they're generally either cheaper Especially. or you get a bonus. Because yeah. I like <laughs> yeah, that. Uh... That's, that's actually a good one. <laughs> we'll make that top six now. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two. I'm very passionate about this one. Number two for first-time cruisers, try new things. The cruise environment is made for people to get out of their comfort zone and try something new. And I'm talking about, you know, not all of us can afford to go to a Broadway show or are in London or New York uh, to experience one, nor do we actually want to experience one maybe. But on a ship, you know, some of these productions are actually from Broadway. We've got um, 
directors and producers who have won Tony Awards and, and prolific on on that stage, yet they're, they're doing something for the cruise line, which have trained and, and produced this production. It doesn't cost you a cent. You go in there, and if you don't like it, you'll walk out. How great's that? Or if, <laughs> um, you know, if you don't like a particular cuisine or you haven't tried a particular cuisine, you think you don't like it because you don't like the way it smells or whatever, but try it because you know what? If you're eating it and, you know, it doesn't resonate, then you can actually say to the waiter, look, I really wanted to try this. Unfortunately, you know, it's not to my liking. Can I try something else? Bang, you've got something else straight away. You can't do that at a normal restaurant. You get charged twice. <laughs> so these are opportunities, whether it's sewing, whether it's this or that, lessons, uh, all sorts of activities, putt-putt golf. If you never golfed before, this is your time. This is what Cruise is built for, to try new things. Couldn't agree more. And number one? Number one, first tip, uh, first time cruiser tips, let go. I, I know we just spoke about a lot of strategic things, but Cruise is also made, because it's got so many options, it's also made it to, uh, made to cater for changing activities depending on the way you feel you know you might just feel tired one day sit on the sun deck or go to the library or uh, go to the theater and watch a movie um don't be too uptight about worrying about what you have to do on day one day two day three cruise is also made not only to be out of your comfort zone but to be flexible just to respond to your needs it's your time it's your holiday um you deserve that flexibility and um yeah don't hold you don't have to be accountable for everything that you pre-planned Good advice. I am very, very guilty of uh, trying to be in too many places at once because there's always so many things going on. I'm like, no, let's just let's take a day out. Let's relax today. Well, it's one of the most common comments after um, uh, a cruise is complete. I, I didn't get, I didn't have an opportunity to, you know, do everything. <laughs> that's why we go again go yeah, again, that's again. True. <laughs> Pete, always a pleasure, mate. We look forward to speaking to you again next week. Excellent. Thanks, Bez. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.